Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Haggerty 25th Hour after the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring presented by Advance Auto Parts, I am delighted to say that we've got another 60 minutes of all kinds of good stuff for you coming along as we reflect on what has been an extraordinary season of IMSA racing right across all of the categories and series. Uh, for the first part of the programme, we'll be talking to IMSA President John Doonan. Shea Adam from IMSA Radio will join me and help me try and pick the bones out of what we've seen. And from Master Motorsport, we've got more Murray. And with a bit of luck, and if technology and the power outage in Detroit plays ball with us, we should get the man at the head of Corvette Racing, Doug Feehan, with us as well. That's all to come in the next 60 minutes. And your interesting comments observations questions from the season uh, all absolutely admissible at IMSA radio or you can comment on the side of the chat of course that you're watching here on the Haggerty community pages well let's waste no more time and uh, get into the Haggerty Global Gro- Broadcast Centre with President John Doonan uh, President how are you <laughs> I'm doing great John can't be any better after Saturday for sure, but after putting the 2020 season in the books, there's a lot of relief, but also a lot of satisfaction that uh, all of us at IMSA, but also all of our stakeholders were able to find a way to go back to racing, execute it safely. And in the end, what incredible drama. And you guys were there as always to call it out. It was unbelievable on Saturday. Let, let's go back a little bit because you st- this is your this has been your first season, and yeah. you and I talked when we first heard that you'd got the job. We all know you, of course, as a racer at heart from your your time with Mazda, and you've been involved in racing pretty much all your your adult life in in one way or another. So, being president of IMSA, pretty much a dream job for you, wasn't it? It is, John, and. My, my early dream, as, as you and I have talked over the years, and Shay and I have talked, uh, was to work for Mazda <laughs> and, uh, and to have that opportunity. So you know, very rarely in life do all of us get to realize uh, our dream, or in this case, for me, um, so honored to have the chance uh, to lead the IMSA organization. So really, I'm realizing a second dream in life, uh, thanks to Mr. France, the France family, and Mr. Bennett for giving me the opportunity. So, started off as as fulfilling a dream, and then <laughs> global events take over for what nobody could have predicted, and certainly uh, us in racing, or indeed any part of the community, couldn't have have, have known was going to happen. Um, that wasn't what you were expecting, I would dare say, John. I joked with uh, Jim and Ed 
I said, nobody told me uh, about this part of the job. And Jim just said, other duties is assigned, figure it out. Um, but in the end, you know, when, when on March 12th, I think it was, we had heard the news about travel bans and we simply got into, um, I'll call it the, uh, you know, race control, if you will. Uh, but it wasn't at the racetrack. It was on the east end of the building of uh, fifth floor uh, where IMSA is in the uh, IMC building in Daytona. We had a whiteboard and it ended up, uh, I was there all night. I stayed and thought it was time to go home. And then Europe started waking up and drivers were wondering if they should get on planes or not. And in the end, you know, we were able to announce the Sebring event weekend, which we just concluded uh, the very first day. And so in, be in between that, a lot of starts and stops and recasting of the schedule. Just really proud of the fact that um, we were able to put in a full championship and everybody in the end was able to do that safely and uh, keep their businesses going. How many plants did you get down to, John? I know B, C, D and probably E disappeared and I bet you went through a, a few wall planners as well as as we did here at Radio Show Limited. Actually, that, that's, a, that's a fatuous question. I'm only having a, having a joke. That can only happen, that flexibility, that, that ability to react to circumstances, which changed, let's be honest, right throughout the year. That can only happen with, a, I would think, a very engaged community. And whether that is the volunteers who punch the tickets, park the cars, go flagging, whether it's your circuits and your promoters, whether it's the teams and drivers, they all had to be engaged and have the desire to go back to racing, which is, let's be fair, so important for the business. We talk about the sport of racing, but the business of racing needed to go back to racing. 100% correct. And it started, of course, with the promoters, um, all of our, our racetrack and event promoters, and the location where they were. Uh, depending on particular state mandates, we were going to be able to either go back, period, go back with fans, or go back in a fan light mode, if you will. And that was ever-evolving. Um, so that really determined uh, where we were able to go. Um, the question of when, uh, certainly we wanted to do it when it was going to be safe enough to do so. And then the final one was how. How are we going to properly uh, screen all of our participants from drivers to team members to the corporate partners to your point, the volunteers that actually help execute the event? Uh, how are we going to execute the event in terms of the layout, you know, the garage areas, the paddock. Um, I'm so, so thankful to IMSA Radio and your entire staff for being able to call these events from, from a distance. Uh, I think that was the ultimate in social distancing, if you ask me. But um, when, we, when we got to the events, the teams bought in right away. So the garage area was different. Pit lane was different. Um, the way they got their people fed was different from – food deliveries to food pickup. Um, it, it just, uh, I think uh, Shay said, we've, we've gone through the entire alphabet of hurricanes uh, and tropical storms. I think uh, we went through every version of the schedule. Uh, we went through every uh, possibility uh, this year. Um, 
And then with that hurricane heading towards Sebring, I thought this is going to be the capper. Uh, not only are we going to end the season, but we're going to get drown, uh, drenched and rained. And uh, thank the Lord that it passed uh, over us. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. We finally got a bit of good fortune uh, on that. Uh, before we start talking about 2021, a couple of questions coming in already on the, the Haggerty community pages, on the Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective and on at IMSA Radio at Twitter. Scott Cole asks this one. Can you ask President Doonan, based on things learned from the past season, uh, team sponsor inputs, what have you learned about IMSA and what changes might competitors and even fans possibly uh, expect next season or even in a season or a couple of seasons time venue changes fan experience track walks what what can we expect to see and, and key i think to that john is what have you learned from this year i said i think during the broadcast the weekend sometimes uh, when you have adversity it is the mother of invention and sometimes you just have to do stuff that you haven't considered before what have you learned from that that you think you can take forward well, first of all, the most important people in that mix that you just mentioned is our fans. And uh, we were able to welcome them back to several venues. We unfortunately could not host them at others. And that is, uh, that's heartbreaking. Um, fortunately, thanks to you and the radio show, thanks to our broadcast partners at NBC, thanks to social media, we were able to engage with our fans and our, our audience worldwide, but um, I really miss the fans and um, very soon before the week is out, they're going to, they're going to have a message from us uh, in thanking them for staying engaged with us. In terms of learnings, I would say efficiency of the weekend is key. Um, Not taking any on-track content away from our audience who's on site or uh, that you can cover uh, with your team, but the number of days on the road, I think we've learned there's a way to be more efficient to keep the budgets in check. And that's been a vision of IMSA's since it was founded and still a directive from Mr. France and, and Ed Bennett is we've got to be able to do this and we've got to keep the teams healthy and and, and not just healthy in, in a physical sense, but healthy in a financial sense. And so we've been very um, successful, I believe, in learning that the move-in day can be put up uh, a little deeper towards the start of on-track activity, but also give the teams enough times uh, to get prepared. So if I were to pick one key learning out of the season, without a doubt, that's it, Um, the the, the efficiencies of the schedule. And the fact that, candidly, in a pandemic, um, we were able to go back and do all this safely. And knock wood, we haven't had any um, spikes in cases to put anybody in danger. That's something we're really proud of. We worked on our protocol with our colleagues at NASCAR and all of the medical liaisons of IMSA. And uh, just, uh, it's emotional when you think about the fact that we were able to get it all done. One of the things for me, John, that worked so well, uh, and I know this is going to be a difficult question for you to answer because you have a very, you and I talk about date equity, we talk about venue equity uh, in the calendar. But one of the things that worked really well was the fact that you had to move things around. So Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, presented by Advance Auto Parts, ends up as the season finale. 
Wow, how well did that work? Plus, short races, 4th of July weekend at Daytona. Um, for me, I'm a bit older. I remember the Paul Revere races. That worked brilliantly well. Um, shorter race at Sebring. Mm-hmm. Two races at Atlanta, not that far apart. Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, not that far apart, and still worked well. Is there a possibility to somehow distill that down and get that involved in, if not next season, because I know you've got deals with people and, and, and that's important, but to think about that going forward? You, you hit it on the head, John. Um, we learned that some new dates uh, at some uh, non-traditional venues uh, in terms of uh, where we would race normally um, worked out quite well. To go back with the WeatherTech 240 on 4th of July, the Made in the USA message that David McNeil and his staff and his company have put in place um, to, to have other partners like Michelin step up at Michelin Raceway for the six hour. Um, you know, we, we learned some things about different venues. Um, obviously, uh, we've got promoter uh, sanction agreements in place for many years at, at our traditional schedule that has all the date and venue equity, but it does give us an opportunity to step back, have a high level discussion with those promoters to talk about what the weather's like in a particular time of year mm-hmm. at their venue, um, what the travel impact is on the teams. And you saw that, I think, in our provisional schedule moving the roar and the race together at Rolex closer together. One trip to the West Coast for Long Beach and WeatherTech Raceway, and then the, the Watkins Glen uh, six-hour weekend with, with Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. So um, we, things we learned, um, obviously we're going to try to apply going forward if we can within the confines and those agreements. Uh, I'll, 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 let's talk about the weekend. Uh, I thought a a masterclass in how to get a race like that done. And in fairness, you're not paying, still not paying your script writers enough in any of the categories, whether it's Michelin Pilot Challenge, whether it's Porsche Cup, whether it is Lamborghini or indeed the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. However, uh, Ian, McCar- uh, Ian McCarthy says, um, somebody's going to ask this, so he says it might as well uh, be me. He said... Um, Talking about um, uh, what was going on at the... Sorry, not, it wasn't Ian uh, McCarthy. Yes, it was indeed. Uh, he says, you can throw me under the bus for asking this. He says, can you learn something from advertising from the side of the circuits causing full course yellows? I think three, at least three times we saw a full course yellow having to be deployed and the Corvette safety car, lovely as it was, coming out of the pit lane because we had some advertising from trackside that had affected the racetrack. Well, if you ask WeatherTech, which uh, had, a, had a banner collected at Road America... If you ask Little Caesars Pizza, who had a banner collected at uh, Sebring coming out of turn 17, I suspect they're all in favor of uh, loose trackside signage. Um, but in all seriousness, clearly um, our goal is to operate safe events, and uh, we've done that with all the signage. And, and unfortunately, sometimes you can't uh, help either Mother Nature, in the case of Road America, or, you know, the error of, of an Acura NSX taking a banner off the wall and plastering it on the front of 
Magnus Racing's Lamborghini. So, um, you know, it's, it's difficult, um, but clearly our goal is to make sure that uh, we run safe events and we'll, we'll put extra tape on the signage next time. And before we, uh, as we transition into 2021, and in fact, effectively, the season has started now for you and for a lot of the no teams. Uh, absolutely uh, started uh, already. Uh, Tom Firth has asked, um, what about GT Le Mans? Because quite clearly, that is an area that needs looking at. We've got a new class in prototypes coming in with LMP3 next year. But with the loss of Porsche, who have been such a big supporter of IMSA, um, and the potential maybe of BMW not doing all the races, uh, what do we do? How can we get people in? Can we get some AM cars in? Because at Le Mans we have plenty of AM cars. Uh, are, are they just too expensive to run for AM teams in, in the US? W- what's the thinking from IMSA's point of view? Well, first, uh, kudos to our partners at Porsche for ending their current GTLM effort with huge success, not only uh, here in uh, the U.S. on Saturday, but what was done in the WEC race in Bahrain. Um, kudos to them. Um, they continue to be a great partner. Porsche uh, will have Carrera Cup with us next year, and certainly they'll support customer teams. Our friends at Corvette Racing clearly plan to be back um, with the C8R, so we're grateful for that. And you know, BMW is going to join us. They've committed. They're going to be back. In what fashion? We'll, we'll soon find out. Um, you mentioned customer teams. There's a lot of rumblings out there. Um, I think uh, fans, um, in the end, without stealing any thunder from anybody's uh, announcement, because that's really their news to share, I think there's some good things coming for 2021 good. relative to, to GTLM, and uh, we'll wait and see what happens. You know, in terms of the future, Prior to my arrival, there's a lot of discussions about the future of GT category globally. Maybe the pandemic has given us reason, and we've already been in discussions with all the manufacturers about what the future of GT racing looks like. Clearly, we have a significant manufacturer participation in GTD, the GT3 platform. Mm. Um, We're encouraged by that, and we're encouraged about the possibility that that could be uh, the future of GT, uh, both in our pro-pro um, category or a pro-am category. So uh, more to come on that, but um, what amazing racing in both of those categories at Sebring to sort of whet your appetite for what could be to come. Yeah, you know, and I think the main thing that people think, John, is that GT cars, whether it's GT Le Mans or GTT, they are such fan favourites. Everybody likes the prototypes as well, but that there's a... There's an aspirational level to the GT cars. Um, we'll talk to Doug Feehan in a minute about America's sports car. He'll call it the world sports car, of course, the Corvette. Very affordable sports car uh, as well. And we'll be talking Mazda MX-5 in a minute with uh, with Mo Murray uh, from uh, Mazda Motorsports as well. Another very affordable sports car. But it's important, isn't it, to keep those type of street-based, road-based cars in the championship so that people could go, oh, yeah, that's similar to the car that I drive, similar to the car my dad drives, etc. Absolutely. I think GT racing has been a staple in IMSA from day one when the France family and the Bishop family founded IMSA. Uh, I think certainly DPI and what is to come in LMDH uh, is that 
research and development lab, if you will, the, the opportunity for designers to implement styling cues from a brand, uh, both where they are today and where maybe they're heading, uh, an opportunity for the powertrain engineers at all the OEMs to implement uh, their next generation or current generation powertrain. Uh, you add in the hybrid, that, that prototype category certainly becomes the laboratory. Um, but GT racing, as you say, um, you can look at the car, you can look at the showroom, uh, either at uh, the event where there's an activation display, or you can go down the street to the dealership and see those GT cars uh, in the flesh. So um, without a doubt, uh, GT racing is a, a main foundation uh, today, and I know it'll be a key part of our strategy going forward. You mentioned LMDH DPI 2.0, and that has, hasn't, might, we don't know, been been affected in terms of its implementation. Uh, I almost couldn't believe the words I was reading out at at Daytona when we were talking about getting a global top class of of prototype sport car together. I never thought that would happen in, in my lifetime john if i'm absolutely honest and goodness me i've been around this sport for a long time does it affect or does it become even more important and more relevant to bring everything together well you've given me chills a lot over the years but you just made the hair stand up on my arms again john um you know i was in that same boat uh relative to the announcement at the rolex 24 at daytona um can't believe that we're here Uh, we grew up I think you and Mo and, and Shay and Shay's dad, frankly, in an era where um, teams from IMSA could go compete at Le Mans and teams from Le Mans could come compete at key events like Sebring, like Daytona. And that's where we are now. And I am so encouraged by the continued interest of many manufacturers. I think our last technical working group call had 16 manufacturers around the table. Nobody's left the table. Uh, so can you imagine even if, you know, 50 or 60 percent of those 16 are able to put together uh, an LMDH program? Um, you're right. The pandemic has caused everybody uh, to pause a smidge and look at what's feasible. I think in reality, there's potential programs that could come um, put on a performance in 2022 at the end of the season. Not, not a full championship, let's be honest. But you could see some people competing at the end of 22. And then certainly uh, it's our hope with Pierre and Gerard and Jim and Ed and I to be able to stand on the grid at Daytona in 2023 in January and see a whole fleet of LMDH cars roll off to kick off a new era of convergence. And so uh, we're really proud of that. And we've been working hard thanks to the technical teams, you know, Simon Hodgson, Matt Kurdock and Terry Bouvet on the ACO side. Um, they've done amazing work with our new partners at Bosch, Williams, and X-Track, uh, as well as the constructors, uh, Delara, uh, Ligier, Multimatic, and, and Orica. So it's going to be interesting, um, and I'm just on the edge of my seat, which I think uh, many fans are as well. Uh, John, before we let you go, and I know you have got to go, uh, uh, but stay with us for a moment, because you're, we're talking there about the very top level, the highest level of IMSA racing. Delighted to say that in 2021, we are welcoming back 
a real fan favourite at the other end of the ladder. And I don't say that in any bad way at all, but a, a, an opportunity for, for people to get themselves in front of the IMSA teams in, in the Master MX5 Global Cup. And joining <laughs> us uh, as as well uh, is, is Mo Murray from Master Motorsport. You two guys know each other very well. Mo, thanks for joining us, uh, first of all, in the morning from California. How are you, sir? I am good. Thank you, John. And yes, John Doonan and I do know each other very, very well. And before we get in and talk about the, the MX-5 Cup uh, part of this conversation, I think it's important as on behalf of Mazda to acknowledge the work that John and the entire team at IMSA did in difficult circumstances this year, but to pull off a nine-race season and for it to to end so spectacularly last Saturday with such tight points races, one point and two points in, in – uh, Two of the four classes uh, separated the champions at the end. A fantastic uh, um, recovery. So somebody who I consider a very wise sage in our industry said to me over the weekend that, you know, we're sort of in a yellow flag right now, a full course yellow, and we're ready for the most epic restart in our lives when, when, when we get that chance to go back full throttle to do what we love to do. Uh, that's uh, very, uh, and, and, and to be fair, uh, John, I should say Mickey Heth, uh, Mickey Hetherington from the UK, uh, among many who've said, I don't have a question, but I do want to say thank you uh, to John Doonan, to the re- to everybody involved in IMSA in 2020 for managing to get a great season of racing completed in, in the current climate. Uh, MX5 back, John. Uh, you will be excited about that because of your master connections. But it, it is important, again, to give that ladder series that Mazda has been so good with down through the years. And we'll talk with, with this with more in, in just a second. But down through the years, so many people have come through that. And indeed, we've just heard that Dan Cameron's got a drive with Chip Ganassi Racing uh, with Ollie Pla in a Cadillac for 2021. Well, uh, I gotta say this somewhat quietly, but I feel like MX5 Cup is coming back home. Um, as you know, I'm so passionate about uh, that little car and that series from my, my previous life and, and the time at Mazda. Um, couldn't be happier because, in, in a lot of ways, um, what we did in driver development over the years with uh, the Road to 24 and the Road to Indy uh, was to provide that stepping stone or that ladder for young talents, both driver, mechanic, engineer, to grow their career. And um, now, as you look at the IMSA pyramid, if you will, MX-5 is a perfect entry point. You got Carrera Cup, you got Lamborghini Super Trofeo, you've got Ferrari Challenge, you got the Michelin Pilot Challenge, which gives people the opportunity to race in multi-class racing. And then, of course, the pinnacle with the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So we have a, a system now, uh, and, and, and also our, our prototype challenge yeah. to give people an opportunity in a downforce car. So um, we've got a full ladder, um, couldn't be happier, and I think it speaks right to the vision and the values that the France family and the bishops founded Imson. Give people an opportunity to go racing in a cost-effective manner from top to bottom. John, final word from you, because I know you've got to go. I, I can't keep Mr. France wasting, and please pass on my best, one of my favourite people uh, to talk to. When he listens, he doesn't always uh, he doesn't always like giving interviews, but the twice I've interviewed him, everything he said has been absolutely quality. Uh, 
Mareshank Racing uh, with Acura. We've also got uh, Wayne Taylor Racing with Acura. They've already got their cars. 2021, are you excited? That's the question. Yeah, um, there go the chills again. I, I think um, you've seen some announcements already. There are uh, many more, I believe, in the works. Um, but as we count it up, as we forecast um, what it's going to look like in DPI, um, in GTLM, in GTD, you add LMP2 and LMP3 there, um, without being a Joe Namath and predicting uh, a victory, I think our uh, car counts are going to be um, up from what we saw in 2020, certainly at the Rolex 24, um, fingers crossed. And, um, you know, we're, we're really encouraged by some of the big names. And when you look at it, um, when you got drivers um, that are coming as champions or world champions from all different forms of motorsport, um, circle tracker uh, folks, as well as top sports car racing folks, uh, once again, the Rolex 24 becomes the place where the best drivers, the best manufacturers, the best race teams uh, tackle uh, what, of course, is one of the most grueling uh, motorsports events around. So 2021 in IMSA has a, a lot of momentum, a very bright future coming out of uh, what's been a challenging but very rewarding uh, 2020 season. And thank you again to you and your staff for telling the stories uh, and for getting into the ears uh, and the, the imagination of our fans who may not be able to watch on TV but, but hear the amazing calls. And just proving how excited about I am about 2021. I managed to put Oli Pla and Dan Cameron into the wrong manufacturer and the wrong team. They, of course, with MSR in Acura. But the news has come through today that Chip Ganassi... I was, was going to say, I, I was surprised. Maybe you struck a deal between Chip and Mike Shank or something uh, overnight that I didn't know about. So. Do, you know, do you know what, John? Literally in that paddock, anything anything could happen. I, I saw a tweet from Chris Chris Dyson saying um, he was at Sebring at the weekend, and and he said he hadn't seen such a happy paddock anywhere for a long time. It's really been a brilliant season, John. All of you, after the Masters particularly, deserve a little bit more than a golf clap, actually. We'd like to come and give you a big hug and stand and cheer you. We can't do that right now, but John Doonan, President of IMSA, thanks very much for joining us on the Haggerty 25th Hour. Thank you very much, John, Shay, and the team. John's got to leave us now, but that leaves room to bring in Doug Feehan uh, from Corvette Racing, which we'll do uh, in a second or two. I want to bring back more Murray now from Mazda Motorsports. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about MX-5 in a moment, uh, which I'm very happy, as John says, is coming home. But what a season what a season of, of racing more for the Mazda prototypes uh, as well. Uh, and, and so close. The competition, ridiculously close. And coming down to such fine margins, not just at Sebring, not just in the championship, but across the season. Absolutely. Uh, and, and for us, you know, coming off a year where a winter, last winter, when we had some the potential for some turmoil to, to influence what we were doing, we had... John stepping away into this wonderful opportunity at, at IMSA, which we're very happy for him about. But, but you know, that had the potential to upset the apple cart a little bit at Mazda. Nelson Cosgrove, who's a superstar, by the way, Nelson came in and took the helm of, that, of the race team. 
moves, you know, transitioned us into a, a new relationship with Multimatic, a more, a deeper relationship with Multimatic, who took over the entire running of the program. We start the season with a podium in Daytona. And then before we get to Sebring, uh, we lock down. When we came back after lockdown, we go one, two at the, the uh, WeatherTech race at Daytona, the short, the July race at Daytona. Um, and then, you know, we had, we had some troubles during the year, you know, through the balance of the year, but to finish out as we did last Saturday with, you know, 11 and a half hours, we're running P1 and P2 uh, and the 77 picked up a puncture. You know, you run these cars for 12 hours on a track, a bumpy track like Sebring where they're hitting each other every chance they get. There's bits and pieces fall off the cars. And we picked up a small bolt in the left rear tire of the 77. And that forced us to have to make a pit stop, put him in third place. But it put the 55 uh, into the, the winner slot to close out the season. Two wins on the season, a second place, and two each, fourth, fifth, and sixth for the 55 guys. Here's the interesting thing, Joe, John. You talk, you talk about how tight this all got at the end. We, we weren't considering the championship at all. In fact, on Saturday night late when they were handing out championship awards in Sebring, our guys didn't even weren't even planning to go over to that award ceremony, and John Doonan had to text our guys and say, "Hey, you guys finished third. Come on over." That was a surprise to us. But here's the thing: our our 55 car raced in 2020 for 65 hours, 31 minutes, and 16.58585 seconds. Right? Remember the six-hour Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. We finished second to the number seven by less than one second, a 0.983 margin. Right? If you reverse that result, one second, reverse that result, then the points championship is not as close. It's closer than it even, if that's even possible, than it was. The 10 car would win the championship by one point from the 55, by one point from the seven. So that's how tight this whole thing was and how competitive this was. I've always said, we've said it in in, in videos during the summer, BOP is something that people complain about and it's everybody's favorite um you know, punching bag, but the folks who run the BOP program at at IMSA have done a pretty good job in making sure that everybody um, gets their fair crack at at the top step of the podium. Uh, And uh, delighted to say as well that we are joined now by Doug Feehan, uh, program manager for Corvette Racing. Uh, He's been, uh, I'm I'm very pleased your power company has got not just you, but the rest of Detroit back on on the line, Doug, uh, as well. Uh, Welcome into the Haggerty 25th hour. Close competition uh, this year throughout all the classes, but from a Corvette point of view, my goodness me, you hit the ground running from 4th of July onwards, didn't you? Yeah, well, you know, there was a, there was a bit of, of good fortune involved in, in, in some of those victories that you're referencing, but that's what racing is about. I mean, it's 25% great car, 25% great team, and 50% good fortune. And uh, we had we had a couple-year run there where we couldn't get anything to go our way. And uh, this year it seemed to come together, and, and uh, we were able to capitalize on it. You know, you, you, you have to be able – in order to succeed in this business, you have to be able to seize opportunity when it presents itself. Mm. You have to be ready at every turn to leap on what, what what's what's coming up next. And uh, we pride ourselves on being able to do that. Uh, Doug, you and I had a long chat uh, at the early part of the year um, about that 100th victory. I, I, I said to John Doonan, 
Imza's script writers need a, a pay rise, but so do yours as well. Such a long time. Uh, Shea Adam will know exactly. Shea, how many days, months, weeks? It was a lot. No, don't. It was such a long time between 99 and 100 wins uh, in uh, North America in IMSA competition for Corvette Racing. And you said to me when we did that interview for Midweek Motorsport and for IMSA Radio, you said, I will guarantee you it won't be the same amount of time. It won't be anywhere near the same amount of time between 100 and 101. <laughs> it wasn't. You guys went on a tear after you won literally under the Rockets Red Glare on the 4th of July at Daytona. You know, it was it was pretty fitting. If you if you'd have put that in a movie, they'd have, they'd have wouldn't have believed it. They would have just said this is just too klutzy to to even put in a flick. But uh, that's the way it turned out, and 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 we reveled in it. It was really appropriate. We we were all smiles when it happened. But we felt good about this product uh, from day one. We've been working. Interestingly enough, when, when at the onset of Corvette Racing, which began in the fall of 1996. My primary objective was to be able to get ourselves woven into the fabric of production. In other words, racing is more than a checkered flag and a trophy. We need to be able to produce better road cars from our learnings from our race cars. Yeah. And, and it's what you've heard me refer to as cascade engineering, where we build a little better road car. We build a race car from that. We learn from that. It goes back in. The road car gets better. It makes a better race car. Race car gets better. makes a better road car. And we worked our way up. Mm. The C8 is the penultimate embodiment of of that cascade engineering philosophy we were involved with tadge's group john from day one clean sheet of paper tadge had been around for those previous iterations not in the role that he currently uh, enjoys but uh, but he had worked very, very hard on the on the c5 c6 and c7 so when he got in charge he knew what he wanted to do he knew what could be done and so uh, we hit. We talked about hitting the ground running. We hit the ground running with that clean sheet of paper and played a key role in the development of the road car. Uh, uh, I saw you nodding there, Mo Murray from Mazda Motorsport, at what Doug was saying about that cascade uh, and that it's a virtual, cir- a virtuous circle, isn't it? Because Mazda will often say more that there's a little bit of MX5 in everything that they do. That that is their sports product it always has been through the the three previous iterations to what we've got now but what you learn by pushing those cars to the very edge goes directly back into the street car and that's that's exactly true i completely agree with doug he's exactly right you know winning races is is nice and for us who who live inside the paddock that's that's kind of a cool thing we get to pat ourselves on the back a little bit but that's not the ultimate payoff for a car company. The ultimate payoff is to improve the product that's out there for consumers. And when we did the fourth generation uh, MX-5 and immediately switched to a new business model for the MX-5 Cup, the learnings from that car, we, we spent a lot of time learning about cooling, learning about transmissions immediately on the racetrack. And we could short circuit the, the production testing by years, many months, if not years, and those things were fed back into the, the production loop. And the MX-5 cup, the MX-5 car that you can go to a dealership and now buy is absolutely has pieces and, and technology on it that was developed on the racetrack in MX-5 Cup in much the same way that the C8 Corvette uh, has, you know, like, like Doug says, you build a good street car and then you go race it and you make it better. And it's, it's uh, I completely agree with Doug that cascading effect is, is the ultimate payoff for a car company. 
So how important, more is it for MX5 Global Cup to come back to the IMSA paddock and showcase some of this talent uh, that uh, presumably the lads and lasses, the males and females within within MX5, they are, they are looking at sports car as a, a potential career or something to go on to. How important is it to be back with, with IMSA and under the IMSA umbrella for MX5 Global Cup next year? So it's very important because sports car racing is where Mazda believes its heart is. Um, and IMSA in North America, IMSA is, the, is the, the, the leader in sports car racing. So it's very important, but it's also important not just to consider the the young drivers, boys and girls who are racing in the series. There are, there's a couple of other stakeholders in this whole thing who will benefit from this. So first of all, the fans at IMSA. MX5 Cup racing is, is spectacular. It's, it, two years ago, we had 12 races, and the combined winning margin of all 12 races across the season was less than five seconds. So the product that's on the racetrack is, is absolutely spectacular. So we know the fans are going to respond to MX5 Cup racing because it's, it's truly fantastic. We know putting these young drivers and teams into the IMSA paddock will, will elevate their level of professionalism and will also allow them to also be part of a road to, to the top level, a road to 24, if you will. But here's the other thing that's, that's we don't say often enough. There are lots of teams in the IMSA paddock running Michelin Pilot Challenge cars or running a variety of different cars. And they have drivers who show up and say, hey, I've, I've got half the budget. What can I do? Right. And they don't get a program because they can't put a full season together. MX5 Cup is about half the budget of a, of a, a Michelin Pilot Challenge program. So for those teams, now they can, without adding a lot to their infrastructure, without adding a lot to their logistics, because we're going to be on the same weekend. They can now run another program and bring in uh, funded drivers, hopefully, and bring in drivers into the MX-5 Cup paddock as a stepping stone, as an entry in each team's own ladder system. So so there's lots of different stakeholders will benefit from this, aside from Mazda, of course. Uh, and I think that's really, really important because you've got to bring people through. And, and Doug Feehan, program manager at Corvette Racing, uh, talent, whether it's behind the wheel, behind a wrench or, or, or on the pit wall, it doesn't just appear from anywhere, does it? It's, th- there is a ladder system for talent outside of the cockpit as much as there is for behind the wheel. We're, we're very fortunate. Again, going back to the onset of the program, uh, from the learnings that I had accrued from a lifetime of having done this, uh, I knew that continuity played a key role. It was a fundamental cornerstone of, of what it takes to build a, a successful race team. And so I, I think the, the object there in, in order to facilitate that philosophy is making good decisions in the first place, all right, in your personnel. All right. So when you look, when you look at, at the history of Corvette racing and its driver lineup and, and guys like Ron and, and Johnny and Yan and Oliver. I mean, Oliver just finished his 19th year. Yan was there for 16 or 17. You know, Johnny, 10, 12. No other race team in history that I'm aware of, professional race team in history, has it keeps drivers for that long. What does that tell you? A, it tells you that you made a good choice to begin with, all right, when you can got, got a guy that can go out there and collect 51 or 52 victories in the, in, in the car for you. And, and, you know, we've got 13 or 14 championships with these same guys. 
But what it does is it creates an atmosphere within the team that, that, that presents itself to others that they want to be part of it because they have the security. We live in a very insecure world in this world of motorsports. It's always changing dynamic as we're witnessing right now. And so it's very hard for guys who want to be professional to find a home. If you can, if you can illustrate to them that you have that, that, that solid foundation from which you are working, I, I think you attract better people. And, and then you have to internally be able to have a, a program where it brings people, not necessarily drivers, but crew, crew staff and engineers, where they bring people in um, at, at, at entry level and they work their way up. But, but, but I think if you asked around, I mean, and I don't need to make this sound braggadocious, but if you ask people, geez, if you had your pick, where would you really like to work? I, I'm sure that there would be any number of them would say, well, I, I, I kind of like that Corvette racing. Thing, right? <laughs> and not just because we win, but it's the manner in which we do it. And the fact, the environment in which we create that you can learn and grow. And that's been paramount to me. My whole love of this business. All right. Has, has morphed to a degree and not something I had anticipated. Believe me, the thrill of on track racing never diminishes, but over time, as you, as you, get older and more experienced, I have become a, a more of a people person. I get so much reward now because I've seen it happen over the past 25 years with Corvette. I've, I've watched people come in and grow and learn and become more of what they wanted to be than they, than they ever thought possible. Personally, for me, selfishly, that's a huge, huge reward for me. And I think it shows. Uh, and just to, to underline what you're talking about 2021 is the 10th year for Tom Milner with you guys, which seems to have gone over uh, like, like that. Um, And I mean, that that's an extraordinary thing uh, to think about. Matt, if you can just go full wide on me, I want to point to something in the background because I know at the moment it's just like, see that picture there is of a Corvette, which I think was taken at, at, uh, Petty Le Mans a few years ago and that's Ollie, that's Ron and there's a few other people in there including Tony Garcia who's just won the championship uh, for you uh, uh, for you Doug uh, and again just underline it and, and if I was a bit closer on that you would see that was a C5 actually <laughs> that's, that's a C5R so that goes back uh, quite quite a long way uh, you, you mentioned Ollie and you mentioned longevity so Got to ask the question, Doug, how do you deal with change? No Ollie next year. Uh, Marcel Fessler, who's been one of your endurance drivers, coming to the end uh, of his uh, contract at the moment. There are plenty of good drivers out there. Are there people out there who are Corvette racing drivers? Good enough to slot in and, and be a plug and play like some of those guys were when they first came in? You know, you, 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 your, your, your question is well-timed, okay? And, and I think when you use the term, are they good enough? You know, th- that's what we have tried to define at Corvette Racing because somebody's definition, somebody else's definition of good might not meet our definition of good. When you, when you sign up to be a Corvette driver, all right, the, the given is you're going to be plenty quick on the racetrack, all right? Fast laps. There's a ton of guys out there that can give you a fast lap. All right. Are there a ton of guys out there that can give you a fast lap without hitting anything, breaking anything and keeping it on the racetrack over 24 hours? Well, that narrows the group just a little bit. 
And then you get to the real issue. And this is the underlying thing that, that, that and I'll go through a couple of things here. You'll recognize what I'm saying. To be a Corvette driver, only half of your job is on the racetrack and in the paddock. The other half is with our fan base. Final distillation of what we do is to sell cars. That's it. We can talk tech transfer. We can talk that. We can talk that. The end of the day, we're here to sell vehicles, cars, trucks, Corvettes at, at General Motors, Chevrolet. That's our, that's our job. To do that, you have to be, re, be able to relate to your customer. Clearly, a competitive environment like racing is very attractive to, to a lot of people who buy Corvettes. But, but what we've tried to, to accomplish is to bring people in and close enough to make them feel that they're not just a spectator. They're actually part of our team. They're part of our team. If you go and look at autograph lines, do I have to, do I have to tell you? I mean, you got 600 people waiting in the Corvette autograph line and 26 people every place else. Right? That's <laughs> at every single event. There's an autograph line. But you need to look a little deeper, something that people don't notice. Look who's running the autograph line. Who's rolling up the posters? Who's handing it out? Who's getting the people to, to, to move through at a given pace? Those are Corvette owners. We put that, we provide that opportunity to them, which makes them feel like they're part of the team. They get to hang in our paddock, unlike the, you know, you can't do that at NASCAR. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's fan-friendly, IMSA racing. But we take that in, uh, to, to another level where they actually become active participants in some of the things we do. And then obviously going up to the Corvette Corral in an intimate environment where we can talk about things that we wouldn't normally talk about on a podcast or what have you. Um, you do that long enough and, and, and you have developed a very loyal fan base, but that takes a very special personality in a driver. All right. To be able to endure that. That's not easy to do that week in and week out mm. out of a busy schedule. You got pressure on you. You got to go up to a Corvette Corral. You got to sign autographs. You got to talk to these people and you got to love them. Okay. You got to make them feel that they are number one in your life. And the minute you've eyeball to eyeball with them, that is a quality. I think that, that really portends what we do. Don't go away, Doug. Got a couple of fine questions for you at the moment and some for you as well. More, uh, more Murray from uh, master racing. Uh, just one DPI master motorsport, excuse me. Um, just one DPI next year. A lot of people asking what has driven that is it the obvious answer that the current circumstances mean that, that that that's the way it's got to be? And is that just one car all year, or is there an opportunity to perhaps put in the second car, which you've run so successfully together with Multimatic, uh, into some of the longer races? So um, to answer the first question, uh, yes, it's a function of, of circumstances. Mazda is uh, among the very few independent car companies, small independent car companies left in the world. We're not aligned with or we're not owned by any other big manufacturers. And uh, we this pandemic has caused significant hardship for, for all car companies, but it's felt more by the small car companies. Uh, Mazda is... Overall, I think a 2% market share company or a little right around that mark. So so we're a small uh, car company. We made a decision when this pan pandemic hit first that we were going to immediately shift our focus to making sure that our dealers stayed healthy. And so uh, there's resources being applied to to that exactly that. And, and unfortunately, part of that challenge is um, that the is a reduction in the in the DPI program where we go to one car. Um the, the, the answer to your second question is we're not getting rid of those. We own those cars. We're not getting rid of those resources. So mm. 
I, I'm not in a position to say yes, that we will run cars or no, we won't, but the resources are there. Should we make that decision? Uh, you know, as, as the, as we progress through the winter and we see what the, what the springtime looks like with this pandemic and everything else, there's a possibility, but I'm not in a position to say that we would or wouldn't do that. So. No, I, I, and and it's I, this is maybe not the place to make that announcement, even even if it was more. So, so I wasn't trying to back you into a, a corner no here. Uh, Haggerty, twenty fifth hour. We're, we're getting close to the end uh, of of the broadcast, so we're going to rattle through a few questions. Doug Feehan, Dave Alcock, and a number of people asking about GT Le Mans in the future. You guys are committed. You've got the new car, the new West car. No Porsche next year. Not sure about BMW for a, a full season. Uh, opportunity for customer cars for GT Le Mans, or is there an opportunity for a customer GT Daytona GT3 Corvette from Pratt and Miller or somebody to keep that Corvette name out there racing if GT Le Mans can't? might not happen. And, and, and we're speculating massively on all of those things. But I, you guys have to be looking at all options right now. Well, of course. And, and I, I, again, I've done this long enough. Where I, some people would call this as being, you know, this is, uh, there's some adversity here. All right. This is, these are challenging times. You're right. But I, I look at adversity as opportunity. We, we are on the cusp of, of probably what I consider to be the greatest opportunity for GT racing in my career. And that is in, in my world, this is my world. Now this, I'm not speaking for GM. I'm not speaking for Chevrolet. I'm not speaking for the sanctioning bodies, ACO FIA. I'm talking about from my perspective, based on my years of knowledge, we're on the edge of having the opportunity to create a global GT program. All right. A platform in which you use one basic car and by tweaking arrow and tweaking engine power, you create a couple different classes. I want to have global GT, all right? I want to have a pro division, and I want to have an amateur division. And I want the pro division, obviously, have more power, maybe a little more arrow, who knows what, you know, a couple seconds faster, just like we have now between GTLM and GTD. And I want to have all manufacturers participating. If you want to run a, 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 a GT, in today's terminology, a GTD program with a sanctioning body, you have to have a pro program to go with it, okay? So that you have a pro side to it and an AM side with it. The cars all exist. Quite frankly, we're the only ones that don't have a GT3 car. All right. But we can take and, and, and with modifications, we can bring our car in, into a GT3 spec. But we've got a couple of years to write some significant rules, which don't really exist in GT3 right now, to write some significant rules that can create this GT program, this GT platform, and we can lead at IMSA. Uh, we don't have to wait for the ACO or the FIA. They've got hypercar and all kinds of other stuff they're working on. That's cool. I respect that. But we here at IMSA can take over this GT class and we can lead the world in what we decide we're going to do. Short term, do I have concerns? Eh, a little. But I can tell you, I think, I think next year, I think we're going to see, obviously, ourselves with a couple cars. BMW is committed to do long races. I think they're going to wait and see uh, what Ferrari is going to do. But I think we're going to see an announcement yeah, maybe this week, maybe next week, maybe some good news coming from uh, in and around a, a, a Ferrari universe. Um, I don't think Porsche, for the most part, is uh, prepared just to park those cars uh, that they built. That was a huge, significant investment. There's plenty of rich guys around the world that would love to have those cars. Wouldn't surprise me if if one or two of those guys uh, bought those cars and brought them back. So, you know, I, I, I'm not losing any sleep over 2021. What I want to work on is 2022 and beyond and create 
create this create this global GT platform, which will do nothing but grow GT racing into the into the greatest form it's ever had. And, and that global GT platform, then GT Daytona, as we would call it in, in IMSA, GT three, or something closer to what is now GT Le Mans, which is a little uh, more in terms of technical regulations. GT three is a full BOP category, uh, and not to go too much into it for those that don't know, but I suspect that most people who are watching this will know what we're talking about here. GT3 is a BOP category. You turn up, you put your car in, and so long as you keep bringing the same car back with the same nuts and bolts on it, it runs to a balance of performance. GT Le Mans, as we call it in IMSA, there's a full set of technical regulations to that which actually delineate an awful lot of stuff. Which way? Or hybrid, probably the wrong... Uh, wrong for word to use there, or or a mixture of of the two, Doug. Do you think right right in the middle, employing the best of both philosophies? Okay, in other words, more production based than GTLM is right now. So you take away some of that uh, the, the the freedom to do a, a, a more expensive things to the car. All right, but still have a set of rules that's far more delineated as we do in GTLM than they do in GT3 run what you brung isn't going to get it all right that gets out of control way too quickly and it, and in many cases it's needless expense but that's what i mean write a set of rules that has the same level of homologation detail as the current gtlm but do it on a more production based basis yeah m- much like gtd where the cars are where the cars have far more production based content uh than a, than a gtlm car mega uh, i, I, I... Last time we did the 25th hour, uh, we we got a a little bit of of insight into what the Toyota were doing uh, going forward. That, I think, will gladden the heart, Doug Feehan, of many sports car and particularly GT fans around the world that you guys are already... And and you're seeing IMSA can lead that and should lead that, perhaps. First of all, yes, they are more than capable of leading that with what they have currently achieved. In terms of their technical uh, ability to do BOP and the data-driven way that they do BOP right now. Think about this. Think about what they have from fan attendance. Look at attendance, and not to throw down, but you look at attendance at a WEC race and you look at attendance in in an Elkhart Lake COVID race, okay? I mean, it was insane up there. Um, Everything is in place. Everything is in place to lead. And, and, I, and I think that the FIA and ACO would, would welcome the fact that somebody was willing to take that first step because they have their hands full in the prototype class. They really do. Yeah. They don't have a lot of time, effort, money, personnel to dedicate to GT. So let's, let's embrace it at IMSA. Let's be leaders at IMSA. And I'm confident, I'm confident that they'll be more than happy to follow. Mo Murray still with us from Mazda Motorsport. DPI at the moment, Mazda's uh, focus. Uh, Global Cup, MX5 Global Cup coming back to IMSA next year. As we look slightly further forward into that crystal ball that is the next version of DPI, which it looks like is going to be that convergent prototype series that John Doonan was talking about. Uh, you guys never do things the same way as everybody else. Four-cylinder, turbocharged engine against the big bangers of everything else. How's things looking for that? And is it is that a concept that Mazda would like to get involved with to take Mazda back to, say, Le Mans, as well as still doing all the big races and the IMSA content? 
So you're right. We do things differently. We try to do things differently. And so for us, the the process we're going through at the moment is is stepping back a little bit and trying to use this opportunity the pandemic has given us to redefine who we are and why we go racing in the first place. There are more Mazdas raced in in uh, in the U.S. on any given weekend than any other brand. When you take in all of the SCCA and NASA grassroots racing, MX5 Cup, and everything else, we we have 55% entry share. Um, against all the other manufacturers. So that's that's something that's very important to Mazda. And the grassroots community is very important to us at Mazda. We don't look at the DPI or its successor as being any more or less important than MX-5 Cup or the grassroots programs. And so that's the process we're going through at the moment is trying to define what is the role of motorsports for the Mazda brand as we evolve the brand. The brand is going through a, a, an evolution at the moment. Um, and so we're, we're, we're deep into a process of really trying to define the, the brand's direction and then what is the role of motorsports in supporting that brand direction. Um, so, you know, we, we're, we're not at a point yet. We haven't, we're not at a point yet to commit in one way or another other than we love sports car racing. Let me put it that way. So. As we move into 2021, I'll ask all of you, and I want to bring Shea Adam in this, our IMSA uh, Radio VP Racing Fuel Pit and Paddock reporter uh, as well, who's been patiently sitting listening to what's going on. Shea, first of all, thank you, because I know you're in the middle of a, a house move uh, at the moment uh, and have taken time off to be with us here on the Haggerty 25th hour in our global broadcast centre. Are we then, Doug Feehan, excited about 2021 and beyond, given the current exigencies of difficulty for sponsors, teams, promoters and car companies, do we still have a relevant and healthy, to use the word, IMSA and indeed broader than that, endurance sports car globally situation? Yes, yes, and yes. And again, it gets back to my twisted philosophy of, of, of utilizing these tough times to really leverage the things that you can do. Look at how creative people have become across the board. That's what this, that's what situations like this create is innovation, finding new ways, new ways to get in to the race. Now you've been quarantined kind of at home, but 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 when you look at how adaptive IMSA was. In, in, in how we move ourselves in and, in and out of our paddock area, right? Now, I'm not saying that that, that that in and of itself is any great thing for the future, but what it demonstrates to people, including the people who did it, is what they're capable of. Mm. They're capable of far more than they ever thought they were capable of doing. When this whole thing started, they were, well, we're out of business. Well, you can sit back and think that, or you can do something about it. Yeah. And guess what? They chose to do something about it. What that does is just revitalizes everyone on your team. It gets them to rethink what they're doing, gets them to recommit to what's happening, and they watch it be successful, and it fuels that process, all right? It fuels them as individuals, mm -hmm. and it makes you be great. It makes you be more bold. It makes you not to fear the future. Yeah. is coming forward and finding ways. You know, everything's shut down. People working from home. Racing is still going on. Yeah. People still have that desire to watch it, to participate in it. And, and I think this is only, I think that is only uh, built that, built that feeling, built that desire. I, I'm, I'm, I'm geeked about it. 
your energy is is amazing, Doug. Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to ask you the question that everybody wants me to ask you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm good, and I'm sure you know what that is going to be. When no idea. I, I'm going to turn it around a little bit to give you the opportunity uh, to give us some information that you can. When might me we hear? about your driver announcements for 2021, given everything we were talking about earlier, about the changes with Ollie, who, by the way, I still expect to see wearing something with Corvette racing on it somewhere, whether it's in the UK here or, or further afield. Um, uh, Marcel, etc. When do we expect to hear uh, some, some solid news? I, I think it would be appropriate, as, as we're going through everything that we're going through right now, I think appropriate timing would be uh, near the end of the year. I would suspect somewhere probably before Christmas time is when we have uh, everything determined and packaged up and with a bow put on it. Uh, You know, we never like to speculate. Learned a long time ago in this business, you you, huge mistakes when you begin to speculate on things. And then you have certain courtesies that have to be afforded uh, to those that may exist outside your immediate circle. You know, things like this affect a great many things other than just saying, okay, this is our new guy. All right. There's, there's a lot of other ramifications there. And it does take a while to, to, to get all that buttoned up. And we, and we like to do it in, in, in both an efficient and courteous manner, which takes us probably into, into just before the close of the year, I think we'll be prepared. I think we'll have everything. I think we'll have everything in order by that point in time. Uh, and I'm sure you'll hear it here on uh, IMSA Radio uh, and RSL. Well, we'll be talking to Doug uh, a wee bit more. Uh, Doug, thank you very much. I know you've gone through a few trials and tribulations uh, to get on the Haggerty 25th hour. Uh, more Murray, Mazda, you've already made the point that it is not the world's biggest manufacturer. It does a great I mean, it is a great job and you invigorate so many people. 2021, a lot of people say that's going to be harder than 2020 in terms of, you know, it's not just a question of going, oh, it's a new year. Let's switch the lights back on. (laughs) Are you confident about 2021 from Mazda Motorsports point of view with the prototypes continuing and with MX-5 Cup, a global cup in, in the U.S. and everything. In fact, you, you guys are doing the shootout right now, aren't they? Yep, there's a, there's a club racer shootout going on today and tomorrow where we have 19 young drivers at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta competing for five different scholarships to move into either Spec MX-5 or the MX-5 Cup, uh, and that's going on right now. Are we confident about 2021? Yes, 2021 is already written. It's already in the books. We have we have a great team of people uh, on the operations side led by Nelson. And so that's not an issue. Doug mentioned that he's not concerned about 2021. He's looking at a, at a, a further horizon. And, and that's exactly our approach too. Remember, we've only just concluded the seventh season of this revised IMSA, right? And, and look how far we've come in those seven years when people back in 2013 were saying, oh, it's the end of the world. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Look how far we've come. Right. In in those seven years. So we're our, our horizon is further out than 2021. We, we have plans in place for 2021. But really, 23, 24, 25 is is there. That's the kind of thing we're thinking about. More thanks for joining us. Doug, thanks for joining us. John Doonan early on. I want to finish off with a, a little chat with, with Cher Adam, who's been uh, patiently waiting uh, to, to talk to us. Cher, thank you for being with us. What will you take out of, of 2020? And what you interact with the paddock more 
than any of us, any of the rest of us here on, on IMSA Radio. Uh, what will you take out of 2020 and, and what are your hopes for and what you're hearing for, for 2021? Uh, well, 2021 has already begun and might still be November of 2020, but there is testing on track right now at Sebring International Raceway for not only the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, but I am hearing of some teams from perhaps other sport series running with different cars than we've seen them in in the past. That's a lot of that is happening right now at Sebring. The the exploration into new series and new possibilities, that door has swung wide open, especially as Mo was talking about we get MX-5 Cup back next year. There are a lot of teams interested in that and already looking and buying new cars. So that's going to be fun and exciting. But as far as 2020 as a wrap-up, we had a lot of people who were just grateful to get back to some semblance of normalcy, to get to go back to the racetrack and get that little bit of happiness, that little bit of a breakaway. 2021, though, back to business. People are focusing on the championship already. I've been hearing about plans for Daytona coming out. And as you said on our broadcast a couple of times, the roar is only nine weeks away. Well, to a lot of people, they're not even thinking about it as nine weekends off. They're thinking about, well, what can I do this weekend and next weekend and the weekend after that? I've got nine of these to go between to try and plan and make sure that they can kick off the season well. Sure, thanks for all your hard work in the pit and paddock uh, for us. Thank you to all of our guests, particularly Doug Feehan uh, and uh, Mo Murray, who's been with us for the, the whole time. John Doonan, uh, president of IMSA, was with us earlier on. Matt has been the technical genius behind the Haggerty 25th hour. Final word on MX5 Global Cup. You will be able to hear it on IMSA Radio and you will be able to see it. No blocks, no breaks whether you're in the States or around the world on IMSA.tv and the international feed. I've enjoyed this. It's been a great IMSA season. A season like no other in so many good ways. Let's take that forward into 2021. Wherever you are in the world, enjoy the holiday season coming up. We'll be back on RS1 uh, on the uh, on our network at Radio Show Limited on Wednesdays uh, from 3pm Eastern, 8pm of course uh, in the UK for Midweek Motorsport. That continues to the end of the year. But what a season for IMSA. A season that might not have happened. And look how much fun we would have missed. Thanks for joining us on the Haggerty 25th Hour. I'm John Heindorf. For all of our guests, bye-bye. Have a good holiday.